Growing up, my family had a cabin property at Calling Lake in Alberta. Calling Lake is about two and a half miles, or two and a half hours, sorry, two and a half hours straight north of the city of Edmonton. Just to give you an, uh, an idea of the size of the lake, the lake itself is just shy of 14 kilometers across, and it's about 13 kilometers wide, so it's a fairly significant body of water, and it has no islands at all, which means that when the winds pick up in that lake, the waves out in the middle of the lake can be quite substantial, like six or seven foot swells when a really bad storm is blowing. Well, one day when I was about 20 or so, my brother and I went fishing across the lake in our trusty 18-horsepower aluminum boat. To get across the lake in that boat took about a half an hour at full speed. And across the lake where we were going, there are no cabins Uh, No civilization at all, in fact, just good fishing. So there we were, and on this particular day, the weather had been good, and the fishing had been really good. But as we worked the mouth of the river for walleye, which is often what we did, we were keeping an eye on a thunderhead that seemed to be blowing our way. Off in the distance, we kept hearing these low long rumbles, and the clouds were getting darker and darker. But the fishing was great. Finally came the tipping point. We decided that even though the fishing was great, it was time to pack up and fire up the boat and start heading back for the other side because the thunderclaps were getting now a little too close for comfort and the wind was really starting to pick up. It turned out that we made our decision too late. As we got about a half a mile, or actually more like a mile, out into the lake with the motor full out, heading for home, the waves started to get quite a bit choppier and bigger. We had to slow down to a snail's pace just to navigate and not capsize. And when we looked back toward where we had been, all we could see, just imagine this in your mind's eye, was this fearsome black sheet of torrential rain heading toward us as we were retreating in the boat. And now a thunderclap boomed right over our heads, and as I remember, it shook the oars in their holders when it boomed. Uh, And now we were in some trouble. To try to outrun the storm at this point was going to be an exercise in futility. And indeed, it came and it overtook us completely, uh, complete with the six-foot waves that I mentioned earlier, torrential rain pelting down, howling wind, and loud, and I do mean loud, thunderclaps and lightning, bolts of lightning. So the adrenaline was surging now. Uh, The thought struck us that it was not wise, perhaps, to be in a metal boat on water in the middle of an electrical storm. So we decided that we would beeline as fast as we could go to the nearest uninhabited shore. And of course, in waves that size, you can't go anywhere near full out 
with your speed. So we just sort of were bobbing along, navigating through the waves, trying our best not to capsize until finally we reached the shore. And I remember we ditched the boat as fast as we could. It was kind of rocky there. And uh, we ran for cover under a tree and just hoped and prayed that the tree that we picked was not going to be struck and split in half by lightning. Finally, the rain passed after a time, and my brother and I decided, once we got our bearings, we would uh, walk along the shoreline and try to find a building somewhere. Finally, we found an, un- uh, uh, an occupied house, sorry, and this was in the days before cell phones. So we ran, I remember running up the lawn to the house, we knocked on the door, the guy answered, let us use his phone, we called my dad, and he came and picked us up. And I remember, I think it was the next day that we went back and collected our boat. Friends, that was one of the few times in my life where I actually began to fear an imminent death. I was up close and personal that day with the sheer power of wind and thunder and electricity and giant waves. And it was a fearful thing, to be sure. Very scary. Well, that whole scene was replaying in my mind this week as I worked through Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is the psalm that we're preaching through this morning. It's a psalm that describes God's power and God's glory as that glory and power are revealed in a storm, in thunder and in lightning and in a quaking earth. I hope you have the Bible open. The first two verses of Psalm 29 issue a call or a summons to the worship and the praise of God. But now the interesting thing in verse 1 is that the ones being summoned to this praise and worship of God are not people on earth, but rather they are heavenly beings. David says, Ascribe to Yahweh, to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The heavenly beings who are being called to worship God here are, as John Golden Gay has said, they are members of the court of heaven and members of Yahweh's household there who assist Yahweh in different ways in determining what happens on earth. So just notice as Psalm 29 opens that the scene is in heaven. The heavenly beings, perhaps angels, are summoned to ascribe to God glory and strength. What does it mean to ascribe to God Glory and strength. Well, the basic idea here is that the heavenly beings are being asked, listen, to recognize or to acknowledge and perhaps also to confess the glory and the strength of God. The glory of God is his weightiness, his esteem, his importance. And the strength of God is his power and his might. Do you know him as highly esteemed and powerful this morning? The heavenly beings in verse 1 are being summoned to acknowledge God's honor 
and to recognize God's power. Now, notice in verse 1 that we have that twofold repetition, don't we, of ascribe to the Lord. Notice that phrase appears twice in verse 1. David says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. As we move to verse 2, we get the third instance of ascribe to the Lord when David says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So there's this threefold pattern of ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. But then notice that the pattern breaks, doesn't it, as we get to the latter half of verse 2. Now, instead of that word ascribe, the psalmist, David, ups the ante somewhat and uses the verb worship. Notice it's ascribe, 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 and now worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Or we could render it, bow low before the Lord for the splendor of his holiness. Our God is a God, listen, who deserves to be recognized and worshipped for his great honor above all creatures, for his power and for his strength, for the splendorific nature of his purity and holiness. Verses 1 and 2 are a summons in heaven for angelic beings to come and praise and worship God. And then beginning at verse 3, notice now we get the cause, we get the reasons why God deserves this worship and deserves this recognition. The psalmist says, David says, the voice of the Lord, now just ponder that phrase for a minute, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. That phrase, the voice of the Lord, appears in this psalm, interestingly enough, seven times. From verses 3 down to verse 9, seven times. The first instance here says the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Probably what the psalmist is alluding to here is that moment at creation when the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and spoke to the waters with his voice, saying, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters, etc. Remember that from Genesis chapter 1. The voice of Yahweh, the voice of Yahweh was powerful over the waters at creation. And for this reason, he is to be praised. Who else can speak and bring a world into being just by the sound of his voice. Now this sort of statement here in our psalm had a definite, what I would call a polemical thrust in its ancient context. In other words, to say that Yahweh's voice was over the waters meant that Yahweh alone was sovereign king over the waters, which was contrary to much of the thinking in the ancient world where the waters themselves might be a god who could possibly win in a battle against another rival god. 
That was the thinking of the ancient Near East. The psalmist says, no, Yahweh's voice is over the waters. Yahweh is king over the waters. Yahweh created the waters and controls the waters. The waters themselves are no rival god to King Yahweh. Yahweh is over the waters. Now, for our purposes in 2017, it's interesting to note that the Psalms, if we read the book of Psalms, they often speak of life's troubles. Are you having troubles today? They speak of life's troubles as waters. For example, Psalm 18:16. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. Troubles. Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. Save me, O God. Why? For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Or in that same psalm, verses 14 and 15, Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. The troubles of life in the psalms are often presented as waters. So that Psalm 29.3 says to you today, and I hope you're listening with ears to hear, it says, the voice of your God is over the waters, is over the troubles that you may be facing right now. And his voice is the same powerful voice, you need to know, that brought something out of nothing at creation. Amen? His voice is awesomely powerful. He is the sovereign and king over whatever waters you may be facing right now. So trust him. Lean on him. Throw yourself at him. Flee to him and there find power and strength and help in your time of need. Are you with me this morning? Well, the latter half of verse 3 says that the God of glory does what? Thunders. The Lord over many waters. I return for a moment to the story I told off the top today. My heart skipped and my adrenaline started to rush when right over top of our waterlogged boat a blistering clap of thunder Boomed. Boomed is not a strong enough word. Now apparently, friends, our human eardrums rupture when they are subjected to sounds that are above 150 decibels. A gunshot at the source is about 140 decibels. I was reading this past week that the loudest thunderclap ever recorded was 234 decibels, way past the point of safety for human ears. 
Now, if you've ever heard a fearsomely loud clap of thunder, if you've been out in the bush somewhere, for example, say at about 120 decibels or so, you know that it is a sound that really just surpasses any man-made sound that we could come up with, right? Thunderclaps inspire awe in us, do they not? They wake us up. They get our attention. They make our heart race. God revealed himself to his people, didn't he? In thunder and lightning at Mount Sinai, according to Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. And it terrified the people. It says there right in the text. It's interesting also in John 12, verse 29, that the people mistake God's voice from heaven as thunder. Now, the child in me has always wondered if loud thunder is some sort of distant echo, just an echo, of God thundering away in his heavenly temple. How great is our God. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many Waters. Well, let's go to verses 4 and 5, where we have a further three instances now of this same phrase, the voice of the Lord. David says, the voice of Yahweh, the Lord, is powerful. <laughs> the voice of Yahweh, the Lord, is full of majesty. The voice of Yahweh, the Lord, breaks the cedars. Notice that. Yahweh the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon that are referred to here in verse 5 were known as the most majestic, the tallest, and the strongest of trees in the ancient world. Their trunks could grow so that they reached a girth of 40 feet around, and they could tower as high as 130 feet. Big trees. But even these massive trees, says David in verse 6, were no match for the voice of God. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. We wonder here, as we read this verse, if what is being described is a lightning strike on one of those cedars, splitting it in half. Maybe. But the point is, don't miss the point, God is, your God is, so strong and so powerful that massive cedar trees to him are like little matchsticks. Ascribe, O heavenly beings and Snowden Baptist Church, glory and strength to God. Verse 6. <laughs> I love this. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. What's being described here? Well, what's being described are mountains, the Mount Lebanon mountain range, and Syrian, which according to Deuteronomy 3.9, is none other than Mount Hermon. All these mountains were to the north of the land of Canaan. They're in Canaanite territory. 
And Yahweh, in our verse, is said to make these mountain ranges skip like a calf and like a young wild ox. In other words, the voice of Yahweh, God of Israel, is making the mountain ranges outside of Israel quake and rattle and shake. He's God not only in Israel, but he's God over all the earth, including that Canaanite territory. He's God of all the earth that he has created. We wonder if the thunder is so loud and so pronounced that it's shaking the very earth under David's feet as he writes this psalm. That seems to be the picture here in verse 6. Shaking the mountain ranges. Verse 7. The voice of Yahweh flashes forth flames of fire. Now, in the original Hebrew of verse 7, what we literally have is this. The voice of the Lord hews out, H-E-W, hews out, or divides flames of fire. Some have suggested that what's being described and pictured here is forked lightning. It's very likely the case. Verse 8. The voice of Yahweh shakes the wilderness. Yahweh shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. What we notice in verse 8 is that this terrific thunderstorm that David has been describing has swept down from the northern mountain ranges in Canaanite territory, mentioned in verse 6, swept down from there now to the south to the wilderness of Kadesh where Israel had traveled with Moses in the time of the Exodus. It's the path of the storm. And so great is the effect of this thunderstorm, according to this verse, that the wilderness is shaking, just like the mountain ranges shook in verse 6. Verse 9, the voice of Yahweh makes the deer give birth. Now, I think what's being described here is a premature birth in the animal world due to being spooked by thunderclaps. Now, I know that our dog, Ebony, at home, she starts shuddering and shaking and panicking, quite literally, when little tiny thunderclaps roll over our house. She just is a chicken, and she shakes so much that we have to try to calm her down. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, Big storm here. And then notice, as it had been at the start of our psalm, where the scene was in heaven, heavenly beings being called to praise God, so again now, in this last part of verse 9, we read this. In his temple, all cry, what do they cry? Glory! The way the heavenly beings respond to this awe-inspiring earthly display of God's power and strength in the thunderstorm is by crying glory in the heavenly temple. I think that's what's happening here. Now, what does the cry of glory suggest? What it suggests in the the ones that are crying glory, it suggests a humility in them. They've just seen something under which they have been humbled. It also suggests that they are thrilled, right? With their hearts racing at what they've just witnessed. Who but God can display such fearful wonders? 
glory. Verse 10. Ah, it gets better. Yahweh sits. How does he sit? Enthroned. What does that word suggest? It suggests royalty and kingship. He sits as king over, notice, the flood. Yahweh sits enthroned as king forever. Now the word flood, very interesting. In the original Hebrew, it's a word that was used 12 times in the Genesis flood narrative. So in the story of Noah's Ark, outside of those 12 occurrences of the word in Genesis 6 through 11, it occurs only here in the entire Old Testament in Psalm 29.10. So then it seems pretty clear that David is using that specific word flood now to make us think of the flood story, the story of Noah and the ark. Think about the, the earth Uh, the, The wells of water breaking both from under the earth and from above the earth and the earth flooding. What kind of terrifying situation that would be. And David is saying here that even when waters inundated the earth during the flood of Noah, God, our cool God, sat enthroned as king and sovereign over the entire creation. Nothing was outside of his control. Do you know that this morning? Nothing is outside of his control. Now remember how the first verse of our psalm called on the heavenly beings to ascribe glory and ascribe strength to God. Well, clearly, notice this, clearly, David, who wrote Psalm 29, has practiced what he preaches. David has ascribed strength to God. David has acknowledged that God is strong. How do I know that? Well, because in the last verse now, verse 11, David says, May Yahweh give strength to his people. David knows that God is strong. David knows that God is the source of strength. David knows that God displays his strength in the thunderstorm. Now, he says, may God give, may he supply strength to his people. That's my prayer for you today. May God supply strength to you in whatever you're going through. But notice this. Notice that the strength of God that's been described in this psalm, this is so key for us, the strength of God described in this psalm, so God shaking the earth, thundering, acting as king over the waters, breaking cedars, that strength is available to us. Do you know that? That strength is available to you and I. Many of us carry it around like an uncashed check in our back pocket. May Yahweh give strength to his people. And says David, may Yahweh bless his people with peace. With peace. Just as God can thunder... And God can command forked lightning and make the earthquake so he can make the storm die out and give his people peace. Some of you are in the aluminum boat right now. You are waterlogged and you are scared. 
in the midst of a storm. The thunder is clapping over your head and lightning is threatening you and you feel as if you're going to capsize at any moment. The question is, do you see God in your storm? Do you see him as sovereign God over the waters that you are facing right now? As Charles Spurgeon asked, can you sing with the psalmist in stormy weather? Can you sing amidst the thunder? Do you know that God is still on his throne despite the storm, that he remains sovereign king? I'm here to tell you that whatever fury it is, that you are facing in your life right now, the God of the storm has power over it and has power to calm it. May the Lord give you strength and may he bless you with peace. To wrap this up today, I want to point you, as I always try to do, to Jesus Christ, who is no one other than the voice of the Lord incarnate. Amen? Jesus is the one who thunders. Jesus in John chapter 1 is called Word of God. He is God's Word. He is God's speech. God's very voice. Come to the earth in flesh. Jesus is the cedar-breaking earth-shaking voice of God himself. And just as Yahweh in Psalm 29 is shown to be Lord over nature, Lord over the waters, Lord over the thunder and lightning and mountains and cedars, so Jesus is Lord over nature. Jesus calms storms, doesn't he? And how does he do that? He does it with his voice. Jesus walks his body over water showing himself to be Psalm 29.3's Lord over the waters. It's Jesus who chemically alters H2O into wine without the use of a chemistry lab. He's Lord over nature. Jesus dies and the weather patterns and the sun go haywire. And the earth shakes. Jesus, after all, is the one being described in Psalm 29. God over weather. God over the earth. God over your life. So look to the risen Jesus Christ this week for your strength and for your peace, even though you are heavy laden in the storm. Let's pray. Lord God, we've been made aware today that we are dead wrong when we think that storms coming into our lives are free from your sovereignty and free from your hand and free from your control and that we are alone in our storm. Lord, you have reminded us through your word that you are working in the midst of the storm 
that our role is to sit back and sing the word glory as we wait for you to give us strength and give us your peace. Lord God, I pray for these dear people today, no matter what it is that they are facing in life, that they would cling to this word, more importantly, cling to Jesus Christ, the word, this week. Depend on him, dear God, for all that would sustain and for their peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the Lord's benediction. May the one who makes the vapors ascend in clouds from earth's remotest end, whose lightnings flash at his commands, who holds the tempest in his hands, show you such love that you will say with the psalmist, the Lord is my lamp, the Lord turns my darkness into light. Amen.